Today's episode of the Hot Four podcast is brought to you by Premier Systems, creators of Brewman, the UK's number one brewery management software used by over 200 breweries and distilleries of all sizes. The end-to-end system covers all back office functions such as CRM, stock control, distribution, cash tracking, reporting, raw material purchase ordering and traceability. Brewman helps brewers focus on making great beer, not doing paperwork. Brewman is a cloud-based subscription service with no long-term contracts or any setup fees and starts from just £20 a month. If you would like more information about Brewman or to book a demo of this software, please get in touch at 02380 811 100. That's 02380 811 100. Or email sales at or visit the website premiersystems.com. This is Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hot Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hotforward.beer is a podcast and website dedicated to the beer industry, supporting budding beer entrepreneurs by gaining insights from experienced brewers and folk within the craft beer industry. So grab a glass, pour yourself a beer, and let's get into this week's episode. Hello and Happy New Year to all our Hot Forward listeners and welcome back to the show. According to Doc Brown and Martin McFly, by now we should all be riding hoverboards, watching Jaws 19 in the cinema and enjoying incredibly precise weather forecasts. Alas, my friends, we are not. Instead, we're riding the latest crest of the craft beer wave, such as hazy IPAs, pastry stouts and breaded barrel-aged sours, watching our Instagram feeds and enjoying incredibly unpredictable weather patterns. The future is upon us. And as I've been writing a piece for a brewery publication about the future of the beer industry into the next decade, today's conversation couldn't have come at a more timely moment. Today on the podcast, I catch up with London-based beer writer, author and broadcaster Johnny Garrett. In addition to regularly writing for Good Beer Hunting, which is a critical, creative and curious voice in the world of beer, uh, Johnny also founded the Craft Beer channel on YouTube. He's extremely knowledgeable about beer and the surrounding industry and sheds some light on how the modern industry many of us know today has developed thus far over the last 20 years and looks into an uncertain future clouded by Brexit and trade deals, possibly brewery closures and some extreme beers. But it's not all doom and gloom and dystopia. We discuss how GMO yeasts may give brewers a helping hand not only in flavour development, but in cutting costs and look at some of the essentials to get you ahead in the beer business. As usual, I want to give a massive thank you to today's guest, Johnny Garrett, uh, this week's sponsor, Premier Systems, and especially you, the listener. Some ways you can support Hot Forward is by following us on social media at Hot Forward Beers, subscribe to the show and leave us a review on Spotify or iTunes, and visit our website where you can plug into some of our digital marketing and consultancy services to get you ahead in the brewing and beer business. We'd love to collaborate with you on your packaging or your next promotion or project. Uh, Head over to hotforward.beer to find out more. So let's crack open today's interview with Johnny Garrett from the Craft Beer Channel, talking all about the future of craft beer into the 20s. 
On the Hot Forward podcast today, I am joined by beer writer Johnny Garrett. Hello. Hi, Hi there. Thanks for having me. Happy New Year. And TET. How was your Christmas? Uh, it was awful. We all got food poisoning, if oh, I'm honest. Oh, no. <laughs> Do you know the amount of beer writers I've, I've seen over Twitter recently that have had food poisoning over Christmas? Uh, we've all got low immune systems because we're abusing our bodies. I oh, think. Are they? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so did you, did you get to try any beers over Christmas or were you too busy heading the bowl and all that? Oh, no, I was uh, I was struck down right at the end. So I, oh, right. I got my full Christmas right. um, and, and, yeah, drank plenty of beer. Uh, I did. A, I do a homebrew every year for my family as well, so oh, nice. they all drank plenty of that. I don't think that's the cause of the illness, but um, that's unconfirmed, so I haven't <laughs> had any since. So what, what did you brew? Uh, I brewed a... Uh, I was given by a brewery called Glen Africa. I was given some coffee beans that they'd uh, barrel-aged in a bourbon barrel they'd finished mm. using just as an experiment. Uh, so they gave me a, a packet of that. So I put that in uh, to a 5.5% stout. Uh, nice. Putting a little bit of hazelnut uh, syrup as well, just to add some nuttiness. Oh, happy days! I wish I'd have been invited. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's some there's some poisonous bottles ju- just to the left of me. If you uh, if we meet up in person at some point. Happy days, um, and I've got to ask this side of Christmas: um, are, are you are you try or dry annually? I'm neither. Uh, I'm. Every January, I tend to cut back quite a bit. There's a yep. little bit. Uh, there's much fewer, m- much fewer events and that kind of stuff going on. So I tend to not drink during the week in January. Um, but uh, given what I do, particularly on the craft beer channel, that goes out the window when we're filming. So yep. dry January is not something I can quite get away with, even if I wanted to. Damp January. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, t- today I want to talk about uh, the future of craft beer. Um, but before we look at the what the next decade holds for brewing in the beer industry, I, th- I thought we could take a look back at the last 20 years so far. Um, I mean, the first question, how have you personally seen the industry develop and grow for better or for worse over the last 20 years? Whew, well, I mean, so I got into beer uh, pretty much a decade ago. Um, so beyond that, there's not a huge amount I can say. Um, I, I got into beer the year that uh, Colonel founded. Um, Redemption were just uh, hitting their stride. Uh, Camden Town were about to found. Um, so I came just as that wave really hit. Mm. Uh, I think most of the changes have happened since then. Before then, it was Brewdog, Thornbridge. Um, uh, me, I guess Meantime, everyone forgets Meantime now because yeah, they're yeah. slightly irrelevant at, at, at this point. I'm not even sure what they're doing anymore uh i don't really see their beer around so yeah the the last 10 years have been an absolute roller coaster uh with lots of really great stories but i think in the first couple of years a lot of struggles as well there's i've noticed a lot recently lots of bloggers are writing about breweries that they'd covered in the early days Mm. uh, and are now no longer with us and we sort of forgotten about them it's sort of a a, a comrade we left behind at war (laughs) i just went oh leave him behind uh, everything else is going to be fine. We've just got to make it. So, um, can you give some examples on on that point? Well, I mean, the, I think probably the saddest one would be Brodie's, um, which I think they they still might be brewing, um, but certainly not the the force that they were back in between sort of 2010, 2012, when mm. they were, you know, as exciting as as Beavertown and Camden and the uh, Colonel were, uh, and they. For, for myriad reasons, sort of slipped away. Uh, there was Pitfield Brewery that was around at the start. There was Brew Wharf, which was predated all of those, even Colonel, um, that uh, ceased 
ceased brewing and now I think the whole building's been knocked down. Um, so there's lots of, of names that are sort of forgotten, I think, because most people joined beer perhaps as as, as Beavertown um, and Camden really got big around 2013, 2014, yeah. the Bermsey Beer Mile kicked off, by which point most of those guys had sort of faded into ignominy by then. Um, so, yeah, and answer to your question, it's changed a hell of a lot. We've yeah. had all these little micro kind of life cycles going on, so it's it's tough to say what's changed in 20 years, but uh, it sort of suffices to say that there's been four or five different epochs within mm. the last Well, they say in business that you have a, um, a business life cycle is like seven years. Mm. And um, I, I was writing an article today about how a lot of brewers that started in the mid-noughties or, you know, early tens is that what you call this that the, the last decade I don't think anyone knows yeah we'll figure that one out but um you know how how like a lot of these brewers are coming to the end of their natural life cycle and it's it's interesting watching the ones that are really up in their game and starting to behave like a proper business um yeah i mean everyone's sort of surprised that we, we're having this glut of sales and they're surprised at the brewers that are selling and to me none of this is a surprise like you like you say you look at the the life cycle of a brand. I used to work in distribution, uh, beer distribution. I worked there for four years. Um, and you'd see these brands go through, uh, well, we, we were thinking more on a, on, a, on a brand level where you'd be talking about a brand is founded, it goes into the geek bars, uh, it grows as a brand, it goes into the sort of the, uh, the Mitchells and Butlers, the slightly trendier chains, and then it hits supermarkets and then it dies. You know, all of these brands, all of these breweries have a life cycle, and mm. people are sat there going, well, "Why did Magic Rock suddenly like?" Well, because Richard Burhouse, I think it's almost exactly seven years since he founded it, yep. and he spent five of those in abject poverty, desperately scraping around to to make a profit. Um, and he's reached the point where he can't really grow without huge investment, and he's decided, quite rightly, uh, for him to do the thing that's, that's easiest on him on a personal level and guarantees the jobs of the people that he's he's working with um whether he chose the right you know multinational for that remains to be seen but it's that's it's a no whole surprise. other topic right there yeah <laughs> i mean with the, within the last 10 years in particular as, as we've seen this unprecedented growth that we're talking about particularly in countries like the usa and the uk of microbrewing like what what problems do you think new entrants at the start of 2020 and going into the 20s are, are going to have to overcome and do you think there's still room for um, for breweries to enter the markets? Or, I mean, what, what's your take on all that? Well, so I, I've actually been writing an article recently for, um, for Could Be Hunting uh, based off of some research done by CGA. Um, so CGI are sort of a food and drinks insight company. They did some research at the end of last year, which pointed to the fact that craft beer, self-identified craft beer drinkers are getting older. Mm. Um, and they've started drinking more tried and tested brands so while the little beer bubble is like going oh, i'll never drink beaver town or camden again they sold out most the core of craft beer drinkers who are now aged um over 40 really they're going oh i can get beaver town and camden anywhere this is fantastic i'll stick with those guys i know what i'm getting so there's sort of polarizing uh forces happening um so that's going to make things I think really, really tricky for new people coming in. Um, you're going to find that all the pubs that either go market rent only, so escape the beer tie, uh, and even 
you know, independent chains are going to start relying on these brands that they know will sell consistently, where they know the product will be consistent, although Beavertown's product has not been since the, the buyout. Mm. Uh, but Camden have, have only got better. Um, and that's going to create, you know, that's going to shrink the amount of opportunity there is for small brewers to get taps. Um, and taps is where the, the real volume growth is found. It's yeah. not found in package. Um, so that's going to be really, really tough and much tougher than it was, say, for, for Colonel uh, and Beavertown when they started, when of, of the independent pubs, they had the pick of them, really. Um, so that's going to be super tricky. What I would say, um, and this was also borne out by the CGA data, uh, is that if you're looking to be a one to 2,000 hectolitre brewery with a tap room and selling mail-order cans out, ultra fresh there's still opportunities there i think for small brewers to nail a local yep. market and distribute nationally themselves also looking ahead into the future i saw an interesting question actually posed on twitter uh, recently from bates at duration saying um i don't know if you saw this it said undeniably the beer landscape has changed a, a vision of doing something different is a tough road what would it look like if someone in particular like allagash or new hill farmstead had to open in 2020 could they still do what they do and get the recognition they hold? I mean, what, what's your take on that? I mean, that is, uh, that's really inter- really interesting question. Because, um, I mean, because you're like, you know, it's, it, as you're saying, like, it's, it's hard enough for new entrants just doing standard IPAs and pale ales and all the rest of it coming into the market. Somebody who's doing something really niche, you know, mm. like for, um, farmhouse beers and stuff. Like, it's, it's got to be, like, super tough, right? Yeah, I, I was over at Allagash in uh, March last year uh, and I was chatting to the head brewer, Jason, um, and we got chatting about innovation and, and mostly we were talking about the fact that they've, uh, I think they're, they're going for B Corp status or they might even be B Corp by now. Mm. Um, they were going for local ingredients, so all of their oats and all of their wheat, I think now are, are grown in the surrounding 17 counties. That, that was their idea of innovation now um but he said the most innovative thing we've ever done and the biggest thing we've ever achieved is to have a core beer that's a wit (laughs) and they said that they they still i think don't entirely understand how that happened um i mean obviously like the the quality of the actual beer aside because it is a stellar beer um i really don't see how that would be possible nowadays um i mean you can even see yeah the people making new england ipas are struggling to create core brands um i think the only people that have managed it recently of the new group would be daya right yeah um, in the uk steady rolling man has got a an international reputation now built off of of theo dialing it in slowly but surely um and i think that's the only new brewery with a core brand that's really kicked off and i i'd really do fear for some of the guys who who didn't start off doing that so the the cloud water verdant to some extent um they they have a wonderful core range which ones they're going to take forward because a core range of four is now seen as huge yeah um and and they're going to be growing hopefully to 17,000 18,000 hectoliters over the next years and it's it's going to be really interesting to see how and if they they can achieve that i think verdant have one of the best chances of doing it because the the beer is so excellent but mm. um 
I, w- I wouldn't want to be founding Allagash, <laughs> anything <laughs> yeah. Belgian-based, really, in the UK right now. I guess it's interesting because if you think about the really larger, newer, relatively speaking, brewers like Sierra Nevada, that you know they, they were built for Pale Ale, um, Boston Beer Co., Samuel Adams, Boston Lager, um, even Brewdog like Punk IPA or, or Thornbridge Jaipur. You know, it's, it's always one beer, isn't it? And it's it's almost like we've swung so far the other way, where there's this constant desire, constantly. For, for new, different, more extreme. And it'd be crazy to think by the end of the 20s, like how ex- extreme some of these flavours and beers are going to be. Do you see it sort of the pendulum swinging back the other way where people will just be kind of brewing a one-hit wonder again and again, so to speak, particularly out of the, the brewers like your Cloud Waters and your Northern Monks and the ones that are set up and are pretty well established now? It... So I always uh, used to use this analogy of a guitar string mm. uh, when it comes to brewing innovations. So what happens is the the string is, is struck by a brewery and it reverberates and you go uh, to one extreme. So you had, we invented IP, America invented the, the modern IPA. It got as bitter as it possibly, possibly could where with McKellar like doing their 1000 IBU uh, IPA. It then in reaction to that, completely swung back the other way. So there we, we got zero bitterness or yeast ester-driven brewing with the New England IPA. Uh, and I feel like the pendulum will swing back again and we'll end up with slightly less bitter West Coasters and slightly more bitter New Englanders. And you, mm. you sort of find that level in the middle eventually. So you never go back to where you were, um, but you can't stay at those extremities because... Um, you know, if you're constantly searching for the new, eventually you lose all context. Yeah. And I think that's what most beer drinkers do. It's what I did probably five years ago when I, I had a, a pint of Paulana hell and went, well, isn't that just bloody marvellous? <laughs> I, f- I forgot how good lager was. And that's sort of where your palate has to reset. So I went all the way back on the on the pendulum and started finding the middle ground. Yeah. Uh, so I, I hope that brewers and drinkers all start to do that the problem is you've got constant new people coming in who aren't bored or haven't lost all context so mm. yeah it feels like nobody's going back but they definitely are uh, as drinkers age that's happening yep how have you seen the independent brewery sector mature over the last 10 years and how do you see it maturing over the next 10 uh, t- to some extent i'd say over the last 10 years it's it's got more immature it's got more short-sighted it's got more you know bubble esque it's got a bit more do the quick wins um mm. which i think is is a a sign of like the the what the consumer's demanding but it's also um a sign of the stress that these breweries are under you know i'm sure if we had an absolute heart to heart with a bunch of breweries and said you know do you do you want to be pushing the envelope further and further and further or are you doing it because every time you release something that's similar to what you've done before it's not getting the reaction um and and I think I've had a couple of conversations off the record with brewers who have said said as much that they're they're brewing to some extent to impress a small amount of people and that gets them their marketing noise and then you're hoping that the core range or or whatever it is will will be actually earning you the money so it's why we're seeing you know wildcard in supermarkets already mm. um, and why Northern Monk have um, to, to some extent, angered some people by going into supermarkets with a fairly wide range, but that's because that's where the volume's going to come from, particularly when on, the on-trade is so incredibly tough at the moment. Yeah. 
Um, so I think, yeah, smaller brewers have, have gone short-term, partly because they've had to and partly because, you know, they know it works and it's, it is fun. Yeah. Um, so over the next 10 years, uh, will the pendulum shift? I don't think yet. Um, because, well, so the, the next thing, another article I've, I've recently been working on is around GMO yeast. Um, which certainly in America is going to become the norm within five or six years, I think. Um, and the capabilities that these these genetically modified yeasts are going to have are just insane. Um, we're going to have de- designer yeasts. We're going to be able to produce lagers in two weeks. We're going to be able to produce IPAs in three days. All these big changes that are going to happen are going to probably push push the extremities a little bit further before it starts coming back um that that is a prediction that's not uh that's me being like notre dame and going um <laughs> this this might happen in a long in a long time i'm not sure yeah i mean there's a lot to be said about all those fomo beers that are out there um i know when i was running sheffield brewery company which is for the, for the most part is just a very straight up traditional cask producing brewery I came into that and, you know, with, with all my craft beerism, so to speak, and be kind of like, we need to be making all these crazy beers and stuff. And, you know, the, the owner was like, no, no, you know, the the the, the, the blonde sells really well. It's like, no, blondes are out now. You know, it's all about craft beer and stuff. And actually, you know, it was those what I would deem quite, unquote, boring beers that actually kept the ship afloat. Um, do you think that too many brewers do fall into that trap then like say of, of um, just try, tr- desperately trying to bring home some money through through those crazy beers because they're too busy looking at their Twitter feeds Instagrams and all the rest of it and trying to keep up with the Joneses so to speak I, I, yeah I mean I think maybe that's too negative a spin I think I think it's a it's a pretty sane business model given the market that's out there and it's working for a lot of guys what, mm. what I think breweries just need to be careful is that, is, is that they don't get stuck in that trap they've got to have a route out when they go in yeah um and yeah so if you're a brewery that's looking to you know i think there must be so many breweries stuck at that five thousand hectolitre duty relief barrier going i don't know how to make it worth going beyond this yeah and and that's the trap that they're in so if they're fine staying beneath that they're a team of maybe five or six people um and they're doing well at that level that's that's great for them, and that that's a long term business. Um, if if they want to, you know, take that next step and really grow the business, you're not going to be able to do that off of the sort of the smash and grab approach. Um, if you look at the breweries that have managed it, they've all had core ranges, um, or at least beers that are um, endlessly kind of recognisable. So Colonel Colonel are about ten thousand hectolitres. Colonel break every rule. That, yeah, that business sure. has ever set <laughs> and so they've just slowly grew- they got to 5,000 hectolitres and Evan just went yeah we'll just keep growing at our own pace and somehow still made this business work so they're sat at just below 10,000 hectolitres with no core range no core beers um, they don't even have uh, a website do they they no they tweet maybe once a month um, I, I, I mean a kernel I don't think could open anymore not, and not get couldn't get to 10,000 hectolitres yeah uh, kernels are sort of a once-in-a-lifetime once occurrence, I think. Uh, it's just this really lovely, um, perfect storm of, 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 of talent and philosophy and, and luck and timing and um, 
people, just awesome people. Um, but yeah, I don't see any other brewery being able to manage that. So if you look at the other breweries at a similar size, you look at Cloudwater, who, you know, they, they were early enough into that smash and grab sort of market that they, they owned it and have done very well and grown from it. But then you look at Gypsy Hill, you know, they had such a strong core range from the start. Mm. Um, you, you look at um, breweries like Moore, who have always had a very strong core range and they're growing. I, I, I couldn't name, unlike in America where there seems to be this endless market, you look at Treehouse who are now 80,000 barrels without ever selling a beer outside of their premises. Um, I just don't see that being possible in the UK because we don't drive for our beer yeah. um, and we, we could never offer the value for money that Treehouse does. You can get a six pack of Julius for, gosh, I don't know, 14 $16. In the UK, that wouldn't get you two cans. Yep. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, looking at America for this next phase is not going to be helpful to to people doing business plans. I mean, that's that's a good topic, actually, to talk about brewery tap rooms in the UK. Um, because, like, say, in, in the States, there might be one brewery or one or two breweries in a town, you know, like, because it's a very, very big country, isn't it? Whereas, like, in Sheffield, where I'm based, it's about 20 breweries within Sheffield and the surrounding area, maybe a little bit more, you know, some of whom have tap rooms that you can go between one brewery and the next. I mean, for brewers out there that might be thinking, right, we've, you know, we've really got to nail this tap room thing over the next few years um, and heavily invest in that, you know, is that ship sailing or is there still room for that? Because I've heard some people um like richard from magic rock actually um say about hyper localization being the next sort of big thing so to speak you know small is the new big i mean what's your take what's your take on that i mean that was what craft was supposed to be right at the start we what we thought is we were building this new beer industry where everyone would have their local brewery and they'd travel to go to other local breweries um and obviously that that was pretty naive when we look back on it um so I, I, I think Rich is, is probably right. You 100% need a tap room. Mm. Any, any brewery opening now should be opening a tap room. Um, it's, it's brilliant marketing. It's brilliant um, market research for yourself. Uh, the profit margins are just insane compared to, you know, if you're, if you're set, selling a beer out in trade, you're going to make maybe 20%. 20% margin on that. If you sell it in the tap room, you're going to make 60 to 70%. Um, so the more you can do literally through your local area, uh, the better. Um, but like you say, there's 20 breweries in Sheffield. In America, yeah, you have one or two breweries in small towns. If you go out into the small towns of, of, of uh, the UK, there's, there's not a brewery in every town. There's mm-hmm. barely a pub in every town. Yep. Um, so the, the hyper-localization, <laughs> I just don't think quite bears out in the UK. I think it's going to be, you're going to have to find a way. Well, we're, we're blessed in the UK because we can do mail order. We can do mail order beer. So you can get your margin that way. You can send your beer out to everybody that you want to. In the States, you can't really do that. There's okay. a, couple of, a couple of states where you can. Um, so that, that's going to be super important. If you're not running your own online shop and if you're not running your own tap room, particularly if you're trying to work in the, the, the short-term, smaller brewery hype scene, uh, you're going to really struggle. Um, 
so yeah, Rich is definitely right. But again, yeah, America is not the place to look. Like look, look for the tap rooms, and in particular, look for the tap room experiences, which America just do so much better than we do. The the service, the ambience, uh, hell, the opening times. Like I'm asked a lot by American brewers and American journalists, like where should I go when I'm in London? What tap room should I visit? And I'm like, what days are you there? And I go, and they say Monday to Wednesday, and I'm like, well, you can't go to a tap room because they all start opening on Thursdays. Yep. Um, whether, I mean, there's a huge business case for not opening for the whole week at the moment because the demand's not there, but it just goes to show that we're going to have to think pretty creatively mm. um, to make to get that hyper-local market moving. I mean, at the last count, there was, was it 2,500 breweries? I mean, this was like 2017, I think. It was. It was I know it was definitely over 2,000 yeah. in the UK. Um, but obviously we've seen some casualties so far over the last few years, um, some bigger than others. But I mean, do you think we're going to see a lot more breweries closing their doors over the coming years, particularly like the smaller, more vulnerable ones? I think we're... Uh, yeah, 100% we're going to see some closures. If you... My my beer history isn't great, but in the 90s, um, America saw a huge downturn. Mm. So they had their initial bubble uh, grow. Uh, and I think I think due to many, many factors, including buyouts, a couple of them closed. Um, and we, we haven't really had anything to address the growth that's happened. And I think we're bound to get that and maybe some slightly higher profile um, closures. The, the causes of that, I think, are going to be very much down to the disruption that the bigger breweries have managed to do. Um, all the regional cast brewers with big pub estates have managed to resist the break of the beer tie. Um, uh, the amount of, what's the statistic? In London in 2015, 90% of the craft beer being brewed was being brewed independently. By the end of 2019, it was, I think, 5%. Right. So Beavertown, Camden and Fuller's mm. were propping up that statistic. Yep. And now um, there's only 5% independently brewed craft beer in London. Wow. And that probably that figure probably isn't much higher in terms of actual opportunity for, uh, for volume uh, to be produced. There's not the taps uh, to put your beer on in. Yeah. So, I mean, um, how, how sustainable do you see the industry in going into the future? Um, I'm not trying to paint a really bleak picture um I, I must confess more often that my glass is half empty rather than half full but it's it's it doesn't sound like it's it's very sustainable uh, uh, the, the the with the way things are at the moment so it's, it seems like there's got to be some kind of fundamental shift that's going to occur for m- maybe fewer breweries to do better rather than a lot trying to just trying to all get in at the chicken feed so to speak yeah um i think uh, like I said near the start, like if you if you're going to stay small, I think you're going to be okay. I, I I think when people say, "Oh, there's two and a half thousand breweries," that's too many. I don't necessarily agree with that. It depends what their aims are. Mm. If we've got two thousand breweries producing two thousand hectoliters all around the country, to me that that's pretty sustainable. That I mean, two thousand times two thousand. That's only what four is that four hundred thousand hectoliters, forty thousand hectoliters maybe. No, two, yeah, 400,000 hectoliters, I think. See, so, I was going to jump in there, but I got an EMAFs at school, so uh, <laughs> I, th- I thought yeah. I'd leave you to word that one out. <laughs> yeah. So uh, if my maths is right, that's only two, you know, two brew dogs working right. around the UK in terms of small independent brewers, so that's not a lot of beer. Cons- no. 
considering how much we drink. It's what's going to happen with those other 500 brewers who are all trying to get a big share of the UK market. Mm. Um, and that's where I think actually most of the casualties are going to be. Um, there, there's already talk of some of the regional brewers really struggling, which is where the small brewers... Uh, God, what's the acronym? Small Brewers Relief Reform Group, um, who, who <laughs> pretty shockingly want to uh, lower the level... Uh, the, start, the size at which you get brewer's relief. Um, and they're doing that because they're struggling. Um, mm. I think in particular, Marston's are having a really torrid time um, with the debts that they've accrued over the years. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if a big, big regional brewer goes. Um, weirdly enough, I think two of the most profitable ones in Green King and Fuller's are the ones that sold. But that yep. tells its own story as well because they're the attractive targets um, to outside investment. Um, so, yeah, I don't think there's any bubble that's about to burst, but I think there's going to be a lot more churn. And I think I definitely wouldn't be surprised if some much-loved modern brands did fall by the wayside. Mm. Um, we haven't really had one yet. I guess Mad Hatter would probably be the closest I could think of, of like a, a well-respected modern brewery that um, yeah, disappeared. I mean, yeah, that was, I mean, that was sad. I remember hearing that because I, I really liked their beers. You know, they were always really unique. They had a good, a good brand. It looked different. So, you know, it, that was sad hmm. when that happens. And I, I guess you think a lot more about um, brewery buyouts or sell-ups or however you want to put it, you know, people being enraged or saddened by that rather than thinking, oh, no, you know, we've lost we've lost a treasure. So, I, I mean, I, I was particularly sad about Mad Hatter when that happened. Um I mean, we've, we've talked a lot about the independent brewers, um, but how do you think the macro brewers will do over the next 10 years? I mean, sales have been under decline for brands such as Budweiser and Coors Light over the last decade. I mean, how, how do you see their strategy of purchasing large stakes in breweries or buying them outright playing out over the next few years? I mean, that's going to be a really long game. Um, I think at the moment we're seeing these purchases as them... Um, trying to interfere with the market, so trying to tie up those lines with breweries that they own. Um, longer term, you know, there's, there's the, these macro brands are never going to go away. But you know, I wouldn't be surprised the way that Camden House is growing um, that that would become a lead brand for mm. uh, AB InBev in the UK, certainly. Um, so I don't think there's going to be sort of a one size fits all kind of answer to that um and i think lots of them are going to have made horrific uh acquisition decisions like we saw with ballast point yep um so yeah i mean it, it's such a mad scene and there's so much money involved and there's so much uh future to sort of take into account uh, it's very very hard to tell i think what's clear is that craft beer isn't going to achieve what we wanted which is to completely re you know, uh, revolutionise this this industry on a on a uh, 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 what's the word on a on a capitalist scale. We're yep. not talking some kind of reinvention of of business models, but there's no denying that craft beer has put a huge dent uh, into the volumes and the beliefs of of macro brewers. Um, and unfortunately, they've been actually very quick and very savvy in their response, mm. um, much quicker than we have been to be to to responding to theirs. So I don't see any reason to think that these macro breweries are going to go under. Um, but I do see lots of reasons to think that many of the ones that they buy will go on to prosper. So what kind of advice would you give to a brewer looking to grow 
their brand and their brewery now, particularly to the kinds of scales that some of the leaders in the crappier sectors, such as Cloudwater or Tiny Rebel, might do. Because there are still brewers out there um, who, who are aiming for big things. I, I don't know if you've, you've come across them yet, uh, Full Circle Brew Co. in mm-hmm. New, Newcastle, you know, um, throwing a lot of money behind brew house and branding and all the rest of it. I mean, how possible is that now? Should brewers even be striving for that? Uh, I mean, yeah, we need we need um, brewers to be coming up through the ranks. Um, craft beer might have failed in sort of its its socialist takeover of, of the beer industry, but what it's done is create incredible variety that we never had. Um, so we definitely need breweries that are intending to get beyond that five thousand hectolitre mark um, and, and fill the gap that's you know slowly being vacated by breweries that have either sold. Um, or breweries like Thornbridge that are so far going it largely alone. Mm. Um, I mean, the best way to do it is, like you say, with Full Circle, um, is have a ton of capital investment behind you. Um, the 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 I think the biggest issue anyone that's found that founded a brewery in the last decade would probably tell you is that the the first and biggest problem they hit um, was that they couldn't keep up with demand because. Their brew house was too small. The site they chose was too small. Um, the rent was too high on that very small site. Mm. So planning for the future would be my best advice. Planning, you know, working what kind of brewery you want to be. Um, but, of course, with that, if you decide you want to be a 30,000 hectolitre brewery, it's huge amounts of forward planning and huge amounts of cash. Um, and I think a lot of people for a while thought that crowdfunding was going to be the answer. Um if the, if the banks weren't lending or if you didn't want to give away that much of, of, of your business. Um, I think that's been proved to be very tricky to achieve. Uh, the amount of... You're essentially turning the goodwill on your balance sheet into actual cash. Yeah. Uh, with crowdfunding, and, and a, a lot of breweries have overstated how much goodwill they had in their business. Um, so while I think crowdfunding will be an avenue for some people, particularly the guys... You know, the smaller guys like Brew by Numbers managed to get to 400 grand recently. Um, but even that was a struggle, I think, for them. They had to um, uh, write down the amount, of, the, the value of their business to achieve that. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think finding a, a, some capital backing that's going to take you there is, is going to be the great, the great struggle. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, planning from the start, knowing what you want to be and planning ahead for that is is really important and there's already some case studies of people that have done that like Dea uh, it remains to be seen whether um, uh, Bates and, and Miranda have got it right uh, with duration uh, but I, I'd back them to do extremely well um, knowing Bates as a brewer and Miranda as, 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 a, as a business person like I, I haven't seen the business plan but already it's looking sensational mm. um, the brewery um, and they know exactly what they want to be and what they want to do. And I'm sure that business plan was the most thought-out brewery business plan the UK has ever seen, um, yeah, knowing yeah. Miranda. So um, that that's going to be the key to achieving those volumes in future. Uh, where the actual capital investment is going to come from or whether it's ethical is another question. Mm. Just slightly changing tack a little bit. Um, with the majority Conservative government now looking to get Brexit done, what do you think Brexit's going to mean for the supply chain and for export market from the UK? Uh, 
Ah, this, this is my specialist topic. Um, so I wrote a f uh, five-part series for Good Beer Hunting on the impact of Brexit on the brewing industry. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> ah, there we go. <laughs> I could have geared this podcast around it. <laughs> Over um, to you, Johnny. <laughs> yeah, so long story short, uh, it has the potential to be horrific. Um, any brewery that relies heavily on exporting is screwed. Uh, unless things change very, very quickly. So we've got, um, once Brexit actually happens, uh, we've got, they've got 12 months of grace while they work out what Brexit's actually going to look like because we still have zero idea what our trading uh, arrangements are going to be with the EU. Uh, but through talking to uh, governmental people, through talking to breweries, through talking to importers, uh, it's going to entirely change the system that these breweries are using to export it's going to throw up all kinds of issues like uh, to legally export to the UK uh, to the EU you have to have an EU address where uh, complaints and um, legal documents can be sent to um, we've got no idea whether uh, you're going to need one site or whether we'll need them in all the countries so you might have if you want to export to 10 countries you might have to have 10 different labels for all your beer um, just all these little things that are going to make it impossible for small breweries to export, uh, let alone the costs of all of these little changes that they're going to have to make. Um, so some breweries have purposefully started winding down how much export they're doing. Um, uh, one of my main case studies was Siren. Um, I, th I think at one point they nearly hit 50% export and they're now way down at about 17%. Um, so, so there's that issue. Uh, looking at Northern Ireland in particular, if there is going to be a customs border between uh, Northern Ireland and the UK, which there is currently, there, there will be a customs border, there will be checks, uh, that ruins a lot of their business plans. They're, these small breweries in Northern Ireland, there are no big ones, Boundary's the biggest, uh, they were relying literally on the post office to get their beers over to the, to the mainland UK. Uh, that won't be possible. Um, so they're going to have to get distribution representation in the UK. Ask any brewery in the UK how hard it is to get decent distribution uh, agreements in the UK, uh, and they'll write you books on it. Yep. Um, and then finally, the, the the most shocking thing to me has been the, the instability of the pound. Uh, again, Siren, so I interviewed Darren, the, the founder of Siren, and he was talking about how he bought a canning line um, just the like the week before the EU referendum happened, um, he he signed the papers, agreed the price, uh, didn't have the funding in place at that moment. Finally, got the funding in place the week after the EU referendum, and because of currency instability, he paid an extra. Uh, I think it was uh, nearly two hundred grand for his oh, canning line. Wowzers! So these breweries, they can't plan. They don't know what anything's going to cost them in two weeks' time, let alone. Um, in, in two years' time, once all the negotiations are done. Um, it's just the most impossible situation that we've put these small businesses in. Um, and, you know, for all of the, the hyperbole and all the talk of getting Brexit done, Brexit is decades from being done. Mm. And while it's still not done, that currency is going to fluctuate. Um, and, it, you know, it doesn't matter if, if the pound's gone up now. You know, if anything... That could be bad news because that gives it somewhere to fall again. Whereas we'd literally hit rock bottom, almost parity with uh, with the euro uh, at its worst when the the uh, new election was called. So 
Uh, um, it, it really, even if you're not exporting, it, it's hugely tough um, for anybody to plan. And kudos to anybody that does. Um, it's, it's bold and you're basically gambling with your cash reserves whenever you buy anything. This was meant to be like the inspirational, happy podcast, <laughs> um, you know, hey, kick, well, kick off to the new year, new decade. But I'm ruining the tone with the questions. Yeah, what about some positives? <laughs> um, well, so GMO East is going to be amazing, so long as, um, hey, one of the benefits of Brexit might be, so the reason they haven't launched GMO Yeasts uh, in uh, the EU yet is because it's very, very tough to get those genetically modified products approved. Right. So if we leave the, if we leave the EU... Maybe it'll be easier for us to get our, our hands on these GMO yeasts. Uh, there's two, two out at the moment. One uh, produces uh, lactic acid as part of fermentation. So that's the end of kettle sours. Yep. Uh, we'll call them conical sours now. Um, and the other one uh, produces uh, linalool and geraniol. So two terpenes found in hops, flavor, aroma compounds. Um, that has you know could mean if you've got a big core beer that's costing you a fortune uh to dry hop you can massively reduce your dry hops on those uh, and end up with potentially a more consistent product um so that that's a huge positive that's coming um the beer tie uh i think will to functionally disappear uh over the next 10 to 20 years um i think that there's this huge weight of legal disputes that are just building up against this barrier that these regional brewers have put up against it uh, and pub companies have put up against it. And that's going to start to crumble. Um, I did a story for Good Beer Hunting recently around the 72 pints scandal. So the fact that regional brewers claim there's 72 pints in their casks, there's demonstrably not. Um, so the, my case study was Marston's. 2.7 litres of that was unservable. And they were uh, renting, creating their rental agreements based on the profit you could make off of 72 pints. Yeah, of these I saw Roger Protz had retweeted a, um, a BBC, BBC News report. thing about that. Yeah, I was on that. That was um, why we moved this podcast. Oh, right. Is that the thing you run? <laughs> oh, right, okay. Yeah. Um, so that's going to happen. I've, I'm working on another uh big story around a scandal that's happening with another uh, pub company um, and you know once the pub's code is taken seriously and once its actual muscles have been flexed because it's got huge power in it just nobody's willing to use it mm. uh, the pub ties and in particular market market rent only agreements are going to become more common and that is the biggest barrier to growth for small brewers because that is what stops them getting on all these taps um, you look at the, the guy in that BBC report uh, a guy called Ed who runs a pub in Cheltenham right around the corner from Daya he couldn't buy Daya's beer despite being within a couple of hundred metres of the brewery he finally got his, his MRO his market only only agreement and so in the BBC shot you could see Daya on the taps yes, and you could so see lots of grounded in the cellar well. <laughs> and, you know to me that, that's the future of, of British pubs and that's what everyone should be throwing their weight behind yeah. if, if you want to support small independent brewing absolutely okay I've got two um, questions to end the podcast today um, mm-hmm. w- one's quite a big picture the other's hopefully going to be a bit, little bit more applicable for our listeners um, so it, it's 2030 uh, Theta Grunberg is president of the European Union and now Kim Kardashian is the first female US president 
The UK is still looking to get Brexit done. We haven't been invaded by Martians, but craft lager actually become a thing. So gazing into your crystal ball, what else has happened in those 10 years? Yeah, definitely GMO yeasts. Um, ev- all the breweries that were rele- doing weekly drops of fresh IPA, they'll be doing it three times a week. And the queues will still go around the block and people will be hammering at their keyboards because it will be timing out. Um, <laughs> I think the, the, the beer tie, if it hasn't crumbled, there'll be so many more uh, taps open to small independent brewers. Um, I think we'll have seen uh, some really sad breweries go under. Um, but hopefully, what I really hope is we'll have the UK's answer to Sierra Nevada. We'll have a brewery that's reached that glass ceiling, that's got to that seven years, and hasn't either sold or taken huge amounts of investment or indeed closed. Mm. That That is what I would love to see. Um, and I, I have so much respect for the, 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 the huge team that runs Sierra Nevada now. That's what I'd love to see in 2030, a, a brewery we could call our own, uh, our own shining example of, of independence and ethical brewing. Um, and uh, hopefully I'll, I'll, I'll still not be doing dry January. Yeah. So the last question then, um, a little bit more applicable. What one thing can our listeners do, uh, people who work in the beer industry, uh, what can they do to hop forward in their beer business today? Yeah, open your tap room, make a brilliant experience and load it with people who are passionate and know what they're talking about. Um, Invest, invest, invest in marketing. Look at all the biggest, most successful breweries. in the US and in the UK, and one of the major things they'll have is an understanding of the market that they're working in and how to stand out. For all of, I mean, Brewdog have made some horrible missteps along the way, but more than any brewery I've been to or any breweries I've spoken to, they understand the power of actually having a voice in the industry uh, and one that appeals not just to the microcosm, but to the people they're trying to reach. So not who they've already met, who they want to meet. Mm. Um, and I think that as breweries grow, as these breweries who are looking to get beyond 5,000 hectares to start to grow, they'll start to appreciate that if they're going to play against you know, these craft brands from, from Marston's, Robinson's, um, and against Camden and Beavertown, they're going to have to have a really strong brand, vo- brand voice and a really strong identity um, to, to carry them through and persuade people to make the decision to choose them because the 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 myth of independent selling i think is dead yeah um calling yourself independent is it's not going to work ethical 100 percent. that's going to be a huge thing if you're sustainable if you treat your people right if you've got b corp status that's going to be hugely important and that can feed into your identity but independence is just like craft it's too hard to define our northern monk independent our brew dog independent um is Beavertown independent? You know, they're not majority owned by anyone except for um, uh, except for uh, Logan Plant. Um, so yeah, being the best business you can be and explaining why you are is going to be a big a big mission outside of the actual brew house or breweries. I really see that. Like, I don't think having good quality beer is going to be in and of itself enough anymore because there's it, so it, much good quality it, beer it already isn't and that's why we're in the situation where people are brewing such wacky stuff because you go yeah I can make a New England IPA but so can everyone else um, so 
yes that standing out is is going to be the real struggle so yeah thanks for being on the podcast today johnny um i mean obviously you've mentioned good beer hunting a few times which is a, a podcast um i really like and I listen to a lot um but how can people connect with you listen to your work there and and your writings and anything like that yeah so goodbeerhunting.com is where i do a lot of my work uh i also run a youtube channel called the craft beer channel uh which you can just find at youtube.com slash the craft beer channel um where we, we get outside of bedrooms, we travel the world and, and visit great breweries and, and great people. Um, and then uh, you can also find me on, on Twitter, mostly, desperately trying to not get angry at people. Uh, and that's at Johnny Garrett and at Beer Channel for the Craft Beer Channel side. And it's, it's me on both. Amazing, brilliant. Johnny Garrett, thank you. Thank you. Today's episode of the Hot Forward Podcast was proudly brought to you by Premi Systems, creator of Brewman, the UK's number one brewery management software used by over 200 breweries and distilleries of all shapes and sizes. The end-to-end system covers all back office functions such as CRM, stock control, distribution, cash tracking, reporting, raw material purchase ordering and traceability. Brewman helps brewers focus on making great beer, not doing paperwork. Brewman is a cloud-based subscription service with no long-term contracts, so it's great on your cash flow, on there's no setup fees, and it starts from just £20 a month. If you'd like more information about Brewman or to book a demo of software, then it just makes sense to get in touch with them on 02380-811-100. That's 02380-811-100. Or email them at sales at premisystems.com or visit their website premisystems.com. Thanks for tuning in to the Hot Forward podcast this week. Don't forget, we're here to help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. So hit the subscribe button for more insights into the beer industry. Connect with us at hotforward.beer or through our social media channels at hotforwardbeers. Until next time, cheers. Bye. 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 B